dedicated to the survival of American democracy in an increasingly dangerous world, this is Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney, acted as Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy under President Ronald Reagan, founder of the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., the go-to man for defense and foreign policy issues, joined by the greatest minds in the security policy business, the special forces in the war of ideas at Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Gaffney, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. A man whose intelligence we have the privilege of tapping each week on this program, I'm pleased to say, is a good friend. His name is Bill Walton. He has been, among other things, a master of the universe on Wall Street, a successful financier there. He has become, in more recent years, um, a leader of the conservative movement, notably as the president of the Council for National Policy, of which I'm proud to be a member. He is uh, also the host of a terrific online podcast. You can also find it at CPAC's um, web platform, The Bill Walton Show. And one of the things we're going to talk to him about is a program he is taping today. Bill, it's good to have you back. Welcome. Great to be with you, Frank. You have a very interesting topic. Uh, There's a lot of discussion sort of in the abstract, particularly during the Trump presidency, about the so-called deep state. But you're delving down to get into the nature of essentially, uh, uh, I guess one might say, a fourth arm of government or fourth branch of government that is the permanent bureaucracy. Uh, Talk a little bit about what makes this such an important topic to us, uh, really irrespective of who the president is. Well, we we talk about the power of the president, and we're going to be talking on the show about uh, the utter lack of constitutional authority that Joe Biden has to, to announce the, the decrees he announced last week in the spirit of a true totalitarian dictator. There's no constitutional uh, authority for him to do what he's doing, but it's part of a larger. This problem. is just so we're clear. This is about the vaccine mandates that he is imposing on government employees and, and uh, increasingly others, it seems as well, right? Gosh, I buried the lead. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah. The vaccine mandate where he's telling everybody who's uh, employers who employ more than 100 people that every single employee needs to be uh, vaccinated uh, uh, by, by his decree uh, or they'll be fined. And I'm not sure what all of those other, other penalties would be. Uh, but notably, he's left out major contributors like the National Postal Workers Union. So it's it's still crony uh, um, government uh, by any other name. Uh, but the, but the, the 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 thing that this raises is the power of the state, the federal government, and we think in terms of three branches of government: the the, the president, the Congress, Congress, and the courts. But there's a fourth, vastly more powerful aspect of modern government and goes by the name of the administrative state. And if you look at all the branches, all the all the cabinet positions uh, or the uh, the agencies of, of the government, EPA, labor, um, you know, commerce, uh, all the other agencies, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the alphabet soup of federal regulators, of federal financial regulators, uh, they have their own ability to create law. And if you've ever, ever interacted with any of them on a legal matter, they end up being the judge, jury, and, and executioner. And several years ago, the 
Supreme Court made a very bad ruling called the Chevron decision, which basically said that the administrative ent- entities had the power to make these decisions delegated to them by by Congress. Now, I oversimplify a very complicated matter, but if we really want to fix government, if we really want to get uh, our freedoms back, we've got to uh, tackle head on the, the issue of the administrative state. And uh, I've got Philip Hamburger coming on, who's a, who's a notably um, uh, uh, successful constitutional lawyer, probably one of the preeminent constitutional lawyers in the United States. And He's found that uh, something called NCLA, which is uh, National Legal um, Council Association. I think I've got the words wrong there. But um, anyway, the point is it's NCLA and and he's got about 50, 60 lawyers and they're filing suits on on behalf of of people uh, to protect them from the the power, uh, the, the, the abuse of power by some of the states and most notably recently the CDC issued its an eviction mandate which said if you own property um, you can't evict your tenants because of the COVID lockdown ignoring the fact that uh, property owners also have rights and and many or most of the of the housing units in america rental housing units are owned by mom and pops and they're just as hurt by the by the COVID uh, as anyone else so it's a it's an incredibly lopsided ruling that is, is in the process of getting unwound but uh, philip's been behind uh, behind that and very impressive guy i want to touch i want to drill down just for a minute bill on something that you touched on there which i assume you will be getting into with phil namely the degree to which there is not only this power that is vested in these bureaucratic entities um, by statute, but Congress has seemingly increasingly added to that power by delegation. Uh, they, they pass these bills. We now are accustomed to them being thousands of pages long, and yet there's still an awful lot of detail and uh, amplification and elaboration and, well, legislation, really, as you say, that is also being left to these um, bureaucracies to do when, under our Constitution, our representatives, people who are accountable to us, are supposed to be making our laws. And then there's also the problem that, you know, this is a further distortion of uh, the federalist model in which more and more and more power is being centralized at the federal level at the expense of the states. Will you get into those topics, do you think? Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about that. The, the, the heart of the matter is that Congress, in passing its legislation in the last 30, 40, 50 years, has tended not to write detailed uh, uh, rules about what it really wants to do. Instead, what it does is it passes the buck to the agencies and lets the agencies take it uh, you know, from a general principle to specific rules. And what that does for the politicians is it gives them plausible deniability, which they pass this bill. And then if it turns out to hurt their constituents in one way or the other, they say, oh, well, we never intended that. That was just the agency that did that. And so it's, it's, it's another act of cowardice by uh, our elected representatives to, uh, to be accountable for the laws they pass. And you look at something like the three and a half trillion dollar bill, which uh, Pelosi is, is trying to foist on the country. Um, if you get into it, you'll find that most of it is, is really not as precise as you think it would be. Instead, it kicks it to the various agencies responsible for, for various pieces of the programs. And 
that this is this is the permanent state. This is the deep state. This is what people need to worry about. Uh, these people are unelected. They're unaccountable. Um, the federal um, rules about uh, um, you know that protects these people's jobs. It makes it virtually impossible for you to fire anyone. And so it's it's uh, it's 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 a permanent ruling class uh, that, that exists in this in this town that. Uh, we really need to, to level our uh, our guns at in a figurative sense of the word, of course. Um, Bill, and, let, and, let me and just Donald ask you. Trump, I think if he, if he if he if he did come back, I think I've heard him talk about it. He thinks one of the biggest mistakes he made was not getting deep enough into this problem. And if he ever did come back, or if he had a proxy to come back, he would work he would work on this job one. Though to his credit, uh, he did more, I think, than any president in our history to dismantle. Yes, he did regulatory burdens uh, that these entities, uh, the government, federal government level, have been imposing. Bill, let, just before we move to another topic, which I want to get to before we run out of time with you, I, I just I want to thank you for focusing on this, particularly in the context of this vaccine mandate issue. Because uh, as you know, as a member of our committee on the present danger of China, one of the things that we've been particularly concerned about is the prospect that these mandates inevitably will beget, and we've seen evidence of this already in some places, notably in New York City and others, I think, across the country, vaccine passports, that is to say, identity papers that will confirm that you have been vaccinated, if indeed you have, and that have, we're told by authorities on the matter, notably uh, Jay Valentine, I guess, on this program from time to time, um, will very easily conduce to something akin to, if not essentially identical, to the Chinese so-called social credit system, which, as you know, is an instrument in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party for unbelievable abuse and and control, really totalitarian misrule of the Chinese people. Are you concerned about that? I am concerned that is exactly where this leads. Once you get your passport, uh, your vaccine passport, who's to say what other behavior you'll be um, required to uh, to, to uh, own up to uh, the government and, and travel efficiency too. And it's, a, it, it's pernicious because the, the Chinese social credit system gives you, gives you positive things for obeying government mandates. And if you are caught doing something like jaywalking, it's a negative. And if you build up enough negatives, you can't travel, you can't leave your house, you, you become basically a prisoner in your own country. And you lose your job. That's, but, you know, they talk about... Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I did garble uh, the name of uh, Phillips. Uh, it's, it's the New Civil Liberties Alliance, New Civil Liberties Alliance. That's um, NCLA, and I, I highly recommend everybody take a look at it. Yeah, the, the vaccine passport is the, is the nose under the camel tent, the camel's nose under the tent. Good. Well, we will be watching closely. When will be pu- when will people be able to see this program with Phil Hamburger, the Bill Walton Show? Monday night, seven o'clock, CPAC. Monday night, seven o'clock, streaming in CPAC now, and it's also available on our the Bill Walton Show website and and, and YouTube and and Rumble. Oh, this one, this one, YouTube may not like uh, because we will be taking on the vaccine mandate, and they they tend to be the enfor- the Biden administration's enforcer on this issue. 
Right. Well, heaven forfend that they're getting any misinformation out there in the American public. And uh, I know that won't be the case with you, but you may be treated that way. Bill, thank you for the show. It's it's a really important contribution to the public policy debate, and uh, I highly commend it to our listeners. Let me turn to one of our favorite themes, uh, Bill, and that is um, what the Chinese Communist Party are up to on another front, which is financing the war they're waging against us, to put a fine point on it. And um, a man who has been instrumental in helping them do that is Larry Fink of BlackRock. There is a concentrate. You talk about concentrations of power in the hands of people who are wholly unaccountable to we the people. I don't think there's a more extreme example of it than that of Larry Fink, the CEO of a massive company called BlackRock, which has, I gather, some 10 trillion dollars under management now. And Bill, I just would ask you to riff with me on this because um, in addition to being one of the leading old friends of China on Wall Street, lobbying Congress to uh, maintain you know, China's access to our capital markets on absolutely you know, preferential terms, no less. Um, you have them uh, involved in forcing other companies to you know, conduct their business in ways that uh, meet sort of the radical left's environment, social justice, and governance agenda. And then you've got, on top of all that, the deep penetration, it seems, by BlackRock alumni of the Biden administration. So you have a kind of convergence, um, both in the Congress through the lobbying and, uh, and in the government itself, the executive branch, that, again, uh, really bespeaks uh, something that I think should give all of us pause, especially when you see the radical nature of Larry Fink's agenda, both with respect to ESG, as it's called, and China. Your thoughts? Well, the Biden, it's hard to know where the Biden administration starts and BlackRock begins or vice versa. We hear about Goldman Sachs influencing government and being a revolving door. Three of Biden's top administrative, top economic advisors are all from BlackRock. Uh, Brian Deese runs his National Economic Council, which effectively makes him the top economic advisor to President Biden. Um, Wally Andiamo is a, a deputy treasury secretary, which is a very powerful job. And uh, Michael Pyle uh, is chief economic advisor to Kamala Harris. So they've got uh, the, the white, you know, in the White House, they've got uh, the president, the vice president, and, and treasury. It's a trifecta. It, go, it goes much de- it goes much deeper than that, but it does, those are just the uh, the leading lights. Uh, so we really need to care about BlackRock's influence and BlackRock's agenda. And Larry Fink is, you know, I didn't know much about him a couple of years ago until you and I started talking. And the more I get into it, the more I find him sort of the master of hypocrisy. I mean, he, he lectures U.S.-based or multinationals on all the environmental, climate, and uh, um, social and good governance things, while at the same time making common cause with Xi in China and essentially financing uh, Chinese government. He lectures us about, uh, um, you know, the environment and how he's carbon free, yet he flies around in his Gulf Stream. And BlackRock owns about, according to some of the reports I've looked at, $80 billion in, in coal-fired uh, um, energy plants. And and, you know, China itself last year financed, I think, about $50 billion of coal-fired plants around the world. So it's, it's uh, 
hard to know what who, who he looks at when he looks at in the mirror. Is it uh, Mr. Mr. Saint or Mr. Uh, do whatever Mr. Uh, President G wants him to do? It's a, it's a, it's something we it's it's alarming and, and ten trillion dollars of assets under direct management. They've got all sorts of uh, of uh, money management system, which in fact increases the number they they're, they're helping administer around the world up to twenty trillion, maybe twenty five trillion. Uh, you know, they've got the only mutual fund in China that's allowed to invest uh, um, uh, uh, citizens' dollars or, or, or yen or yuan, rather. Uh, so it's something to be watched and, and where this is going. Uh, well, if it were just a question of Larry Fink lecturing um, his counterparts in American business. I, I wouldn't be as concerned about it. I think he's actually bullying them. Visit us at facebook.com slash secure freedom with Frank Gaffney.